Welcome to the True Crime Chronicles Mystery Monday, Episode 5. Today we're talking about the disappearance of Roxanne Paltoff. Now supposedly Roxanne got in a fight with her boyfriend of two years and walked off late at night from a hotel in a very rough area of Austin, Texas. She's not been seen or heard from since. Now this is one of those cases that's unsolved, but you have a pretty good idea who did it. However, the details surrounding her disappearance, like there's several theories as to what happened and why. So sit back, relax, get comfortable. This is the story of Roxanne Paltoff. Now working missing persons can be a daunting task, especially for Austin Police Department, two-man investigation team, who are responsible for working about 4,000 cases together every year. This includes runaway cases, which are the majority of missing person cases, disappearances, and abductions. In 2009, as an example, by May of that year, five months into the year, the two-man unit had 1,681 cases waiting to be solved or paid attention to. Detective David Gann, part of the two-man missing persons investigation team, says that working missing cases is distinctly different than working a robbery or a homicide case. In those cases, you have a set or distinct crime scene where your initial question is, where did the perp go from there? But you know a crime happened. In a missing person case, the first question is, did a crime even happen? So when Roxanne disappeared and being reported as a runaway, Detective Gann did not think much of it. The case had come across his and partner, Detective James Scott's desk, as a lover's quarrel, and she walked off. Now, Gann said that scenario is a pretty common occurrence. Boyfriends and girlfriends, they get into arguments all the time. One of them walks off, right? They don't come home that night. The next morning, the significant other reports them missing. But working missing persons cases in a city with the population that Austin has, so in 2006, the year that Roxanne disappeared, the city of Austin had a population of 1,167,000 people. So couples arguing and walking off, clearly that's going to happen a lot. Now, a good way to determine which case is a common walk off, you know, slash stay the night out, burn off steam, or if it's something more significant, is to question the consistency of the behavior. Have they walked off before? Do they typically walk out when they're angry or are arguing? Is this behavior out of the ordinary? How long have they stayed gone before? Are they usually in contact with their family every day or fairly often? Now, in this case today, it did not take long for detectives to figure out this was not a runaway or a person who left of her own free will. Have you seen Roxanne? With those four words, Elizabeth Harris's stomach dropped and confusion set in what do you mean she was with you 
Elizabeth was speaking to Lewis Walls, her daughter Roxanne's boyfriend of the last two years. Now, Elizabeth did not care for her daughter's boyfriend for a number of reasons. He had been in and out of trouble since 1995 for a variety of charges. Robbery. (sighs) Selling fake crack to an undercover officer. I just, I can't even. Threatening his current girlfriend and violating a restraining, you know, slash protective order that she had against him. And like Roxanne, she was much younger than Lewis. When Roxanne met Lewis, he claimed to only have been 19 years old. However, when the truth came out, he was closer to 30 years old at age 28. And he had two small children that lived with his mother. Now, side note, I don't have any information about the mother of these two kids. Is she around? Does she see the kids ever? Why are they with his mother? I, I don't have any of that information. But as it turns out, though, Roxanne was not liked by Lewis's mom either. For reasons unknown, she just didn't care for her. Now, Roxanne would often babysit and take care of Lewis's children. She was quite attached to them. Now, I couldn't find their ages exactly, but I'm going to guess that they were quite young. So because neither family cared for the other, Roxanne and Lewis needed to find alternative places to see each other and visit. A friend's house? No. An aunt or a cousin's house? No, no. His own apartment since he was high-fiving 30? Nope, not there either. But if you guessed some super trashy hotel, then you would be correct. Lewis and Roxanne would stay in a string of hotels off the southbound interstate I-35 near Rundberg. Rundberg was not a good area. If I said that wrong, the city, I, that's, I don't know, I'm not exactly for certain how you say it, but if I said it wrong, let's pretend I didn't and move forward, right? Now, Rundberg, like I said, was not a good area. It was known as a high crime area. Lots of drugs, prostitution, pimps, usually just loser-ass boyfriends who trick their girlfriends out so they don't have to have a job. But they had real pimps too, I'm sure. So all that was going on. Needless to say, Elizabeth was not thrilled with her daughter being out there and honestly what mother would be, right? It's just not a place you want your daughter and your young daughter right yeah that's that's worrisome but Roxanne was 18 and a legal adult so she could do what she wanted and Elizabeth knew the more that she pushed for Roxanne to stay away from Lewis the harder she was going to hold on to him and that's a thousand percent true So Elizabeth walked a fine line with Roxanne when it came to Lewis, but she did tell her daughter, you know, Lewis was a player, a hustler, and he was going to break her heart. She would tell her daughter, this guy is just no good. He is a burden of society, which I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it does. I like that, that line, a burden of society, you know, and she let 
her know that she could just do better than him. But Elizabeth was careful to not forbid Roxanne to see him. She just told her that he was all around not the kind of guy she wants to be involved with. And, you know, he he isn't the type. I definitely wouldn't want my daughters in that situation or around that kind of person. And I know she was trying to kind of keep that balance between her real feelings, right, and not alienating her daughter. But I do like that she you know, let Roxanne know, like, you deserve better than this. Like, this, this is not good enough for you. I like that. Now, Lewis's behavior made Elizabeth nervous. In addition to his criminal background, Lewis made claims of belonging to and being a member of the Bloods Street Gang. Now, while Elizabeth did think, at best, he played a very marginal role in the gang if and it's a big if right he was actually even a member and wasn't just like friends with a couple and claimed off that right but her thoughts were that he kind of fancied himself as a player slash gang member when in reality he was an unemployed 28 year old who still lived with his mother who was taking care of his children while he ran around with teenage girls so in other words The line starts here, ladies, right? Because that is a hot ticket item. Now, even though Elizabeth didn't necessarily believe the gang shit, she still told Roxanne he couldn't be at the house. Rightfully so. I would not want him in my house either. You just never know. So, 4th of July weekend rolls around, and it was one of the hottest summers on record that Austin, Texas had ever had. It was hitting over 100 degrees every day. It was hot and miserable. And Elizabeth felt that people acted crazy in the summertime heat. And probably. But for Elizabeth, crazy heat or not, her and her four girls, Roxanne, Rosalind, Ronica, and Ruby, they were up at Lake Travis, relaxing and keeping cool. But Roxanne would not be spending the 4th of July doing their typical family togetherness activities. It was Roxanne and Lewis's two-year anniversary. And Roxanne was eager to spend the time with her boyfriend. She did, however, agree to go shopping with her mother and sisters. I bet, I don't don't know, an 18-year-old in the world that would turn down a shopping spree from their mother. So, heck yeah, she was going shopping. Now, Elizabeth and her girls were set to go to the outlet mall on Saturday, but very early in the morning. They wanted to leave early. She had spoken to Roxanne the day before on Friday and let her know what time she needed to be home and what time that they were leaving. Roxanne calls back later and says, I'm going to spend one more night. Things are going great. Anniversary is awesome. You know, like this is just a great time. But she promises Elizabeth that she will be home early in the morning to go shopping. You know, Roxanne tells her mother, don't worry, I will be there. Now, Elizabeth, of course, is upset. She's annoyed. And honestly, she's probably even a little on the pissed off side with Roxanne's decisions. But 
She sucks it up and gets ready to spend the next day shopping with her daughters. Now the next morning, Roxanne is a no-show and not even answering her phone. Now Elizabeth is pissed, thinking Roxanne just got caught up with her anniversary stuff, you know, still in bed and is kind of blowing off, you know, their family traditional, you know, outings or whatever for the 4th of July, right? All their festivities they typically do. Now, Elizabeth, of course, is thinking if she wasn't going to come, we could have left way earlier, you know, because they were sitting around waiting on her. Now, at this time, Elizabeth was not concerned or even considering any type of foul play situation. And why would she? I don't think that would be the first thing in that situation that I would jump to either. So I would probably just be irritated thinking she just didn't get up, right? She's 18. She's with her boyfriend. She's just not getting up. But again, Roxanne was an adult. So they decided to give her her space and time with Lewis. And they head out to go shopping. And they were gone all day in a neighboring town at the outlet mall. I love a good outlet mall. And returned home around 4 p.m. that afternoon. Now, finally... Elizabeth gets a call from Roxanne's cell phone. Slightly irritated still, but more so relieved to finally be hearing from her daughter, she answers the phone. But it wasn't the sweet, happy voice of her eldest daughter. No, it was Lewis on the other end. Confused, she asked him, why are you using her phone? Why are you calling? And then Lewis asks her those four life-changing words have you seen Roxanne which I just I can't imagine now Roxanne Elizabeth Paltoff was born January 3rd 1988 to Elizabeth Harris she is the eldest of four girls Roxanne was a responsible teenager and she always helped care for her younger siblings also she would help care for and babysit Lewis's children. Now, I have no information on Roxanne's father. I'm assuming he's not been involved. I don't know. That's, nothing about him is listed. I can't even find his name, to be honest. So I, I don't know what that situation is there. Now, as for high school... Roxanne dropped out of McCallum High School her junior year. But shortly after she dropped out, she enrolled in job training and was prepping for her GED. So far, she had passed all the sections of the GED exam except for the math section. And I feel this so hard. I ended up passing my math section on the second try. Math was never my my strong point, though, ever. Now, me and my friend Karen Anders, we took our GED test together. She has since passed on, but I will say, though, that without her family, I don't even want to think about where I would be in life. Like, truly. They're amazing people. Amazing, amazing people. But, despite Roxanne's trouble with mathematics, she was determined to get her GED. She wanted to be a fashion designer, and she was going to take every step to try and make her goals happen. 
She always loved fashion design and clothing. And shortly before Roxanne disappeared, she organized a family photo shoot. She paid for the photographer, coordinated everyone's outfits herself. Now, she would also do this for Lewis's children. Roxanne was a very family-oriented person and had a very close relationship with her mother. They would speak on the phone all the time. And Roxanne definitely kept in touch if she wasn't going to be home. Now, her sister Rosalind said, you know, she thinks of her laughter and jokes. Quote, she was just so funny. She was goofy. I just miss her so much. Unquote. Now, Roxanne was described as too trusting and too generous. She would buy presents for Lewis's children, dinosaurs for his son, and pretty hair things for his daughter. She had a big heart and was a nurturer. But she was not treated great by Lewis as a whole. He would have her watch his kids, oftentimes overnight, so he could go out and party. She was encouraging Lewis to get a job and be a man, take care of his kids. You know, but that's not something you can tell him. Like, he has to be a man on his own. And, you know, Roxanne didn't get that yet because she wasn't very old. She was 18, you know? And so she just thought she was helping, right? But she just didn't have that life experience yet to know that he was a loser. Now, again, he lied about his age. And not by a couple years, try a decade. And it was over a year before Roxanne figured out that her boyfriend was almost 30 years old. Okay. He also had the two children. And that should have probably been a bit of a giveaway that he was not 18. But I had four kids by age 18, so I might not be the best person to make that determination. It was pretty well known that Lewis was not a faithful partner. He was known to cheat on Roxanne with no shame and no discretion either. In fact, he was relatively open about it. He was also known to be physical with Roxanne or, according to a friend, push her around. Okay. Roxanne got tired of having to defend Lewis and Lewis's behavior to her family and friends. So she begins to withdraw from her social circle. And she tells people less and less about the things that are going on in her relationship with Lewis. But there is one incident that is absolutely terrifying. And it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking to think that she was going through this at such a young age. I mean, at any age it's bad, obviously. But, I mean, she was a child still, essentially. In 2005, Roxanne was sitting alone at a bus stop. Her face was bruised, swollen. She had her sunglasses on, right? Now, her mother, Elizabeth, and sister were in the car on their way home when they noticed their family member at the bus stop. So, naturally, right, they pull over, they scoop her, and head back to their house. But a closer look showed Roxanne had more than just bruises and swelling, right? Her nose was completely broken. And not just a regular broken nose. Roxanne's nose had been so badly broken that it had 
internally detached. And this injury required major surgery to repair it. And it wasn't just this incident, though. While not as severe, several instances of Roxanne having cuts, bruises, swelling were observed numerous times. But, like most abused women, Roxanne always had a reason as to what caused the injuries. And I'm not, you know, shading her at all. I was in a very abusive relationship for many years and there was always a reason, right? There was always an excuse as to what happened. And, you know, I'm sure nobody believed me back then either. And even though I thought I had, you know, covered myself pretty good, right? I was young. And yeah, but that's generally what you have to do in those situations, right? So Roxanne also, she had always an excuse as to what happened. Now, as far as what caused Roxanne's broken nose, she says it was a total accident because, I mean, of course it is, right? There's just, there's always accidents. Now, according to Roxanne, Lewis and her had been down on 6th Street when someone began to catcall Roxanne, saying she should leave Lewis and go off with them Now, I don't know. I would think like catcalling, right, would normally be like, woo, woo, hey, you know, what's up, hey, like that kind of thing. I don't know that I've ever heard them with full sentences like, hey, leave him alone, come with us, hey, like that kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe they do. Seems like a lot of effort for catcalling, though. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it happened. Now, before Roxanne could process right what was going on Lewis was already fighting the whole group right defending her honor I suppose and Roxanne for whatever reason thought getting in the middle of that group of adult men right fighting seemed a reasonable and believable behavior it's not and it wasn't right didn't happen But, according to Roxanne, she jumps in the middle of this group of men, you know, throwing down. And in her quest to break it up, she got, quote, popped in the face. Well, clearly none of this happened, right? But bless her heart for trying. That's the best she could probably come up with at her age. You know, and no doubt she didn't feel comfortable enough telling the truth to anyone which makes me just sad but I know I know that spot and everyone is already telling you you know what I mean how bad they are and to stay away and you know you're stupid for staying and what are you doing just you know and I guess that's their way of trying to help but it's not helpful so and she knew she didn't have any intention of leaving yet at that point so she tried to keep it under wraps Now, if you're worried about Lewis, right, and how he was doing after this scuffle, he sought out medical attention at Brackenridge Hospital for an injury to his hand. Now, imagine how hard he had to hit her to A, detach her nose, and B, injure his hand to the point of needing medical attention. Now, she didn't go get medical attention. Her nose was 
detached, just free floating a bit. And she didn't go get medical attention. But he injured his hand from hitting her so hard. He went and got it looked at. But guaranteed she couldn't because they would want to know what happened. Right? And nobody's nobody believed the he jumps in just super powerful and starts fighting all these men on her behalf. Shut the fuck up. It just didn't happen. Now, this was Roxanne's story, though, and she was sticking to it. But again, no one believed her, and eventually she admitted it was Lewis who caused the damage to her face. Now, Roxanne kind of shrugged it off and expected everyone else to shrug it off as well. But it wasn't as easy for them to forget and forgive the way it was with Roxanne. Now, Lewis had a very bad temper and could easily manipulate Roxanne. Yeah, I mean, that that happens. His behavior and Roxanne's willingness to forgive and forget, it really made people uncomfortable. They were worried, though. Don't get me wrong. They were definitely worried, but worried and uncomfortable. Now, in the months leading up to Roxanne's disappearance, it seemed like, finally, her friends and family were making some headway with her about her relationship with Lewis. Roxanne was finally pulling away from the hold that Lewis had on her. She had started Goodwill Job Training and GED program, and Roxanne was thriving, according to her caseworker, Sandra McDowell. Now, her teacher, Jane Comer, said she wanted to grow to become more, to get a good education and eventually a good job. So she had, she had goals. She had things she wanted to do. And no doubt, Lewis was holding her back and dragging her down. Now, caseworker Sandra McDowell said she had friends who did not have these credentials and once in life, but she did. She had ambition. Now, no doubt, Sandra was referring to Lewis. Now, Roxanne was very artistic and was thrilled to have secured an unpaid mentorship with Charlotte's Fiesta Flowers on Lamar Boulevard. Sounds like a fun place. (laughs) Shop owner Charlotte Wainscott said everyone loved working with her. She was such a nice and sweet person. Roxanne excelled in her mentorship so much that she was hired on as an employee. She learned fast and caught on quickly. Charlotte said Roxanne was one of those people who really loved flowers. So much so she talked about maybe her own shop one day. But in order to do that, Roxanne needed her GED. Now she had made progress in her schoolwork. And by early 2006, she had passed all but one of the tests needed to receive her GED. And that math section was the only roadblock to her future. But, like many people who don't secure their GED on the first try, Roxanne got frustrated and bored and began to drift away from the program. She didn't come around as often and didn't study much either. But Roxanne kept her job at the flower shop 
and took a second job working for the Census Bureau. I don't know why, but (laughs) every time I read the Census Bureau, it makes me think of that American Dad episode where Stan and Haley had that competition to see who could count the most houses and they both end up in that weird house in a hole from the Clamato lady. I don't know, whatever, but that's what it makes me think of. Around this time, Lewis began to show back up again. According to phone records, the month before Roxanne disappears, Lewis was calling her constantly. Now, she would tell Lewis what neighborhood she was working in that day, doing her census stuff, and she would run into him at a park, or he would just randomly show up places where she said she was going to be. Very off-putting behavior, red flags, over and over and over. But, you know, she was naive and just trusted that everybody was good, you know? Now, less than two weeks before Roxanne disappeared, Sandra Comer, this was her caseworker, said she decided she wanted to get back to school and get on with her life. Her census job made her realize she needed to finish her GED and do something else with her life. Now, Roxanna decided she was going to go back to school and get this done. So she said, fuck these dead-end jobs. I, I can't do it. Now, that brings us up to July 4th weekend. Now, even though Roxanne and Lewis were in the midst of their week-long two-year celebration for their anniversary at the Budget Inn, just south of Runberg, But Elizabeth and two of Roxanne's friends said they are positive that Roxanne was truly and finally done with the relationship. Her friend called the last weekend in June and she caught Roxanne crying. And she asked if there, you know, were problems going on with her and Lewis. And Roxanne responded, I can't talk about it now. So obviously he was there and he was listening, right? So she told Roxanne to get dressed. She was coming to pick her up, to which Roxanne agreed. Now, once she got ready, the friend tried to call Roxanne and she never answered. Another friend had a similar interaction with her on July 4th, where Roxanne told her that they were arguing. Roxanne was trying to leave him alone, but Lewis was not having it. The friend tells her just leave and don't talk to him anymore. But you can only tell a person so much and you can't force them to make the right decision. It's also in an abusive relationship. So many people say, just leave. Just walk out the door. Don't answer the phone. You know, grab your shit and go. Change life. Whatever. Right? And you have to understand that in an abusive relationship, you can't just do that. A, you know, emotionally, there's a a trauma there and it makes it very difficult to just walk out. There's normally a lot of built-up codependence, right? But also, it is incredibly dangerous. Very dangerous. That is the most dangerous time for women in an abusive relationship is when they leave. And I can definitely attest to that. I had to wait until 
he was in prison for a long time. Not a long time, four years, but, a, you know, a substantial amount of time so that I could get away. And I knew that in two weeks he wasn't going to get out and come looking for me. And after those years and he got out, the first thing he did was show up at my apartment and he had the address because of the restraining order. So it's not as easy as just pack your shit and get the fuck out. It's not. Because they'll, they'll find you. They'll go look for you. And, you know, if they kind of have a hold over you because of self-esteem or, you know, whatever, they are masters at, you know, sweet-talking you into coming back, right? Or making it your fault. So it's it's just not that easy. It's not. So Elizabeth, friends, and others believe that at this point, Roxanne had had it. She was done and ready to leave Lewis for real this time, for good. And it's thought that Roxanne deciding to break things off, I mean, just set Lewis off, right? Just pissed him off and kickstarted a violent argument the night of July 7th, 2006. Now, this argument was Roxanne's wake-up call and just her final straw. It clicked for her in that moment that it was time to go. Like, she needed to leave, get the fuck away from this man, and, you know, focus on her life. So, July 7th, 2006, Roxanne and Lewis are at the Budget Inn in Runberg. Now, Runberg Lane and I-35 in North Austin is considered a pretty rough area. Definitely not somewhere Elizabeth wanted her 18-year-old daughter hanging out. Drugs, prostitutes, pimps, fighting. You name it and you can find it on Runberg Lane. It's that type of place. So what happened that night between Roxanne and Lewis that, according to Lewis, right, caused Roxanne to take off by herself in such an area at night with nothing but her identification card. Her phone was left behind, her purse, clothes, all of it. Now, this of course is all according to Lewis. This is Lewis's full version of events the night of July 7th, 2006, right? Lewis claimed him and Roxanne had been fighting. I imagine this was common. They got in a big argument and she storms out of the hotel with just her ID card. Lewis says he ran outside after her and according to him, she had told him to leave her alone. So he went back to the room to cool off himself. I don't know of any man that would leave his girlfriend or you know, wife, or honestly, even just a friend, anyone, even if you don't like them, out there in the middle of the night, a a woman like that, in that type of area, even if she said, leave me the hell alone, I don't know a man in the world that would leave her alone out there like that. So, yeah. Now, Roxanne reportedly walked along the service road toward Runberg, then making a left onto Middle Lane before just completely vanishing from his sight. Now, I don't know how he was able to get that much info on her whereabouts and location, 
Because according to Lewis, he went back into his hotel room. So that's not super clear. I don't know. But apparently that's the pretty much accepted, you know, path that she took out of the hotel. After about 20 minutes, he goes back out to look for her. But she was nowhere to be found. Now the night clerk, front desk woman, verifies Lewis's story and her version matches his version from that night. Now, if you are worried about poor Lewis being all alone in that hotel room after a big fight with his girlfriend, well, you just stop your worrying now. Lewis was not alone in that hotel room, not for long. The young lady at the front, you know, desk, provided Lewis with the best customer service she could until the wee hours of the morning. That's according to Detective James Scott. Now, this little act of goodwill on behalf of the hotel lady turned a big side eye for the detectives working Roxanne's case. Any reasonable person would say to themselves, okay, I just got in a major argument with my girlfriend on our anniversary. You know, would bringing another girl to the room be the smartest thing to do? Especially knowing that in all probability, she's going to come back soon. It's dark. She has no phone, no money. She has nowhere to go and is currently on foot, right? She's nowhere near her house. So this man either had a death wish, right? Was dumb as fuck or he knew she was never coming back. I'll let you decide which one. Now, Lewis was not in a hurry to find Roxanne or even to report her missing. He waited 24 hours to even call her mother, Elizabeth. And even then he said, hey, have you seen Roxanne? I don't know. The phrasing, it's not super odd to me, but Elizabeth said she felt like he should have assumed Roxanne was with her family and just asked if he could speak with Roxanne. Now, I don't know about that part. To me, it, I don't know. That didn't seem that off, but buckle in because the rest of this, just a mess. So it's been 24 hours, and Lewis is just now telling Elizabeth that Roxanne is gone. No police report, nothing. Sunday morning, Elizabeth calls the police and reports her missing. It took them a day or two to even come out to do the report. By this time, Lewis is out of the hotel and at his sister's with all of Roxanne's things, including her phone. Now, Detective Scott said that was a huge alarm bell for him. Lewis was already at his sister's at the Walnut Creek apartment complex in Austin, cleaned the room out, and checked out of the hotel. By the time the police get to the hotel, three days had passed, you know, without the police even knowing that someone was missing. So now it's been three days that the hotel had rented it to other tenants, and it's been cleaned numerous times. Also, Because of the bookkeeping at the front desk, it was impossible to determine what room they were actually in. Now, I don't know what type of bookkeeping that would be. 
I assumed even back then everything was computerized, right? But this sounded like possibly it was one of those motels you could maybe do off the books by the hour, right? Or maybe on the books, I don't know. But that there was a lot of in and outs that maybe weren't recorded so efficiently, right? That would maybe be my guess. So instead of focusing on what they don't have, the detectives turn their attention to what evidence they do have. And that is Roxanne's belongings that were left behind. But Lewis still has all of Roxanne's items. Now this creeped out journalist Jordan Smith. She said one of the creepiest and most disturbing things he did after Roxanne's disappearance was that he kept all her possessions. That is weird. Now, Lewis needs to return Roxanne's belongings and turn them into the family or to the police, which he did. After five whole days, five days, finally, Lewis returns her shit. Sort of, actually. He returns her purse, cell phone, her jewelry that she always wore, and a bag of clothes. On the surface, it looked like her stuff was returned. But this is Lewis we're talking about, so that's just not the case. Elizabeth and Rosalind start to go through the bag of clothes and realize very quickly these were not Roxanne's clothes. Rosalind said she knew her sister's clothes, every article of clothing she owned, and these weren't it. They weren't her size, and they were far too big and not at all her style. So, clothing was a dead end. The detectives decide to pull Roxanne's cell phone records, and holy shit, was this a wild treasure trove of information. More than 300 plus phone calls had been made using her phone. And he was making calls that he most definitely would not have made with Roxanne around or on her phone for her to see, right? So who is Lewis calling? Well, his ex-girlfriend in New Mexico. And in one of the calls to her, he allegedly tells her, quote, I am in trouble. I fucked up, unquote. 48 of those 300 plus calls were made between 6.44 p.m. and 8.42 p.m. on July 7th. So 48 calls in two hours, almost to the minute. (laughs) It's crazy. Also on the call records, 1-800-SEX-LINES and a lot of them. But Calling ex-girlfriends and jerk-off lines is not a crime, so detectives keep looking. Now, multiple different motels, singles chat lines, strip clubs, friends, and more ex-girlfriends, you know, nothing. So it didn't take them long to find something, though. 
July 13th, just six days after Roxanne's disappearance, a domestic disturbance comes into Austin Police Department from a motel next to the Budget Inn where Roxanne disappeared. A security officer happened to be walking by and, you know, casually looked in the window. Now, according to police reports, the security guard sees a man and a local stripper in the middle of a struggle. He had her pinned to the floor and was choking her, attempting to get her clothes off. The man takes off before the police arrive, but he leaves behind a few things. During their struggle, his hearing aid fell out and he left his wallet. Now he ended up being 30-year-old Jeffrey Moore. Moore had previously picked up the woman who was with her husband. So they were outside of the Perfect Ten Gentlemen's Club, right? Now she agrees to do a private dance. So all three went to Motel 6. Now, (laughs) I doubt that was the arrangement. She can dance at the bar. You don't need a hotel for that. But moving on. They get to the Motel 6. Moore and this woman, they enter the room, and he immediately locks the door, leaving the husband outside. Now, hearing the man's wife shouting inside the room, the security guard eventually gets the door open. The husband starts attacking Moore, and he gets the fuck right out of there. Like, he dips. And again, he left his hearing aid and his wallet. The security guard looks in the wallet and discovers Roxanne's identification card. The only thing Roxanne had on her that night is in possession of Jeffrey Moore. Now, eventually, Moore returns to get his hearing aid and wallet, now in police possession. He was arrested for attacking and attempting to rape an exotic dancer. I doubt exotic dancer was, well, maybe they used that word. Who knows? They could have just said he was arrested for attacking and attempting to rape a person, right? Or just leave it as his charges were, you know, assault and attempted rape. Boom. Done. I don't know why exotic dancer had to be thrown in, but it was. So we'll just go with that. Now, Jeffrey Moore was somewhat of a sexual predator. He would hire sex workers and take them to hotel rooms. Jeffrey tended to be somewhat rough with his dates. Now, I don't have a definition of what rough right is to them. I'm not sure. Um, Yeah. Now, this particular instance, his date, now safe and away from Jeffrey Moore. She wants no part of this situation and she refuses to cooperate. Moore said he went to the restroom and came out to see her going through his pockets, right? Which doesn't explain why he was trying to SA her. Now, Jeffrey insisted that he knew her and they had agreed to have sex. Okay. All charges were eventually dropped. But 
they were not going to let him go without asking him about Roxanne's ID. So they ask him to show them his ID. And when he does, Roxanne's falls out. Now, he says he can explain this. Roxanne, he says, is a friend of his. And he was just holding her ID because they had gone out somewhere and she asked him to hold it. Super innocent. Doing a friend, doing a, you know, friend a favor. Yeah. He's a good guy like that. Good Samaritan. Now, Detective Scott asked him again, Jeffrey, how did you come to have this? Now, he was starting to feel pressure by the police, so Jeffrey added some details to the story. Now, he was downtown at a club, right? And they started talking. I was about to leave the club, and they asked me if I could give them a ride to Runberg, and she must have dropped her ID in my car. Now, my question, who is they in this story? So who was supposedly with Roxanne at the club and then in his car, right? I mean, I can guess, but he never said. Now, this set off warning bells, red flags, whatever you want to call it for detectives. Jeffrey had told a completely different story to his original story of Roxanne being a friend of his And him just really wanting to give it back to her himself, right, in person. Now, immediately, the police track down Jeffrey's car, where they spot a suspicious dark stain. But don't get too excited. Turns out he's just a slob. It ends up being a dried ketchup stain. So, no links to Roxanne in the car. Now, Jeff, which is probably good, because he said she was in there. That's how he got the ID, so that proves she wasn't in there. Now, Jeffrey is still a person of interest, but the police, for now, they turn their attention back to Lewis Walls and focus on him. Now, July quickly turns into August, and all anyone knows for certain at this point is that Roxanne is gone. No communication from her, and no communication from Lewis either. But, Lewis... He tended to be a very busy man. Less than a month after Roxanne disappeared. Now, this is his girlfriend of two years, right? Someone he supposedly loved. But Lewis did not have time to waste. He found another young girl. Probably lied to her about his age, too. But he didn't lie about Roxanne to her. Now, Elizabeth heard about Lewis dating another young girl. And she knew the future that this you know, young woman would have with Lewis. And Elizabeth was not about to stand by and just let that happen without trying to intervene. So somehow Elizabeth gets to this girl and brings her over to her house. She shows her pictures of Roxanne and explain what happened to her. And this was all it took for the girl to break down and tell Elizabeth what had gone on in her relationship with Lewis. She told Elizabeth she was scared. She also told her, Lewis had told her, quote, if you don't do what I tell you to do, the same thing's going to happen to you like that white girl, Roxanne, unquote. And she wasn't the only one. Lewis said stuff like that, too. 
according to Detective James Scott. In the right company, Lewis talks openly about what he did. Hey, I killed someone, and I'm out here, and they can't touch me. What an ass, right? What a dick. Now, Elizabeth tells the detectives what the young girl said, but by the time detectives got around to questioning the girlfriend about Lewis's alleged confession about killing Roxanne, she refuses to speak to them or cooperate in any way. Now, side note, I wonder how long it was before the detectives actually questioned her from the time they received the information from Elizabeth. Just curious. Now, Roxanne's case goes cold for several years until the FBI gets a tip about a field off Runberg, not far from the strip of motels where Roxanne went missing. So the tip was there are possible human remains found in the field. Now, FBI sends out an excavation team who sifted through the dirt and the debris looking for any sign of Roxanne or anyone, really, you know. But the assumption, I think, was that it was Roxanne. Now, FBI agents and Austin Police Department homicide units spent all day digging in this field. But after hours of extensive excavation, you know, for her remains, nothing, nothing connected to Roxanne at all. Now, Roxanne's family, they're not taking no for an answer, right? They are determined to get justice for their family member. So the Paltov family gets together and heads to the area that she was last seen. They pass out missing person flyers and they start asking around literally to anyone who would stop to listen. Now Elizabeth spoke with a lot of people in that neighborhood and this neighborhood, remember, keep in mind, was not the best neighborhood either. A lot of hotels, a lot of drugs, drug dealers, and a lot of working ladies out and about. And so those, you know, that population is not real keen on speaking to people, you know, or the police or giving information. It's definitely very much a mouth closed, right, type of thing. I don't know nothing, didn't see nothing, didn't hear shit, right? I'm not a part of it. That's that's kind of the mentality. But one of those ladies that were out and about working went by the name of Loretta. Now, Loretta went up to Elizabeth and asked if she had found her daughter yet. Elizabeth told her no. I am still searching for her. Now, Loretta reaches down and got her cross, and tells Elizabeth, I'm going to help you find your daughter. Now, I don't know where the cross was, if it was like a necklace or in her pocket. I, I don't know. But, so two more weeks pass, and still no sight or sound from Roxanne. And then, Elizabeth hears on the news about a body found under a bridge. So, the Paltoffs, they brace for the worst, right? As as any family would, I think, with a missing person like that. 
missing family member. So they receive a call from the police department and they ask Elizabeth to bring Roxanne's dental records to the coroner's office, right? So they're thinking, okay, this is it. They found our family member. We kind of knew this was the outcome, but now we can properly, you know, put her to rest, right? Well, no. Because when the coroner officially IDs the body, it is an unexpected and shocking result for the Paltoffs. The body that was found under the bridge was none other than Loretta, the same woman who had told Elizabeth she would help find her daughter. There were paper towels shoved down her throat when they found her body. Now, was she asking a lot of questions, trying to find out what happened? Did she find out what happened? And if so, maybe they were trying to shut her up. I find the paper towels down the throat to be very interesting. I find that very interesting. So I wonder if that's like a symbolic thing or if it was purely functional. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know if they were maybe, let me think this. So if they were put in there after she died, or like I said, if it was functional and they used it to help her die, I don't know. I don't know. I just, it's very odd. Now, no arrests had been made to date in this case, right? Detective James Scott says, I doubt not one bit these two gentlemen, being Lewis Walls and Jeffrey Moore, are responsible for her demise, unquote. These two individuals, they have something to hide, and they are hiding it. Detective Scott continues, as lead detective on Roxanne's case, his theory on what happened to her goes like this. Jeffrey Moore is a sexual predator. He hires prostitutes, working ladies, but in the article they said prostitutes. I don't like that word. And he gets rough with them. Lewis wanted Roxanne to hire herself out for his benefit. Detective Scott's opinion is, you know, those two worlds collided, leaving Roxanne kind of caught in the middle. And she had zero interest in that bullshit whatsoever. And Detective Scott thinks her refusal to turn tricks is possibly what got her killed. Now, everything in the investigation kind of points to this scenario. And unless something new comes to light, but without the testimony or complete cooperation from Jeffrey or Lewis, Nothing new is ever going to come to light, according to Detective Scott. Now, he also said, Lewis told me several times, hey, you're trying to frame me. You're trying to put this on me. He whines a lot, apparently. But in the years since Roxanne's disappearance, investigators have managed to develop a more complete picture of Lewis Walls as a person. And, not to spoil anything for you, but... It's less than impressive. Now, according to Detective Scott, one of the two investigators assigned to the Department of Missing Persons Unit, he says Lewis, among his peers, is an idiot. Just looking at his criminal history alone, you can tell he is not the brightest of criminals. Just a quick example. He went and got crack for an undercover officer. And then it turned out to be fake crack at that. Just a moron. The ex-girlfriend in New Mexico that Lewis called from Roxanne's phone over and over 
had to take out a protective order to keep him away. In 2008, he was charged with making terroristic threats against his current girlfriend, Cassandra Tolbert. Now, according to her petition, she said that she had met Lewis to make arrangements for him to see his son that they had together. But instead, he wanted to talk about getting back together. When she told him no, he whispered in her ear, I don't want to kill you like that girl Roxanne. And he also told her, I really did kill her. I know how to do something with bodies. Now, Lewis pled no contest to the charge and was sentenced to 140 days in jail. Now, Cassandra also had a scary story to tell about Lewis trying to pimp her out. I see a bit of a pattern starting to form here. No? Now, Elizabeth, hearing this, wonders if Lewis tried to do the same with Roxanne. Of course he did. A hundred percent he did. Now, Detective Scott says he doesn't think Roxanne was straight out tricking for him, but that he was trying to groom her for that role. And she was naive. She was in over her head, and she just didn't know it. You know, she didn't see the writing on the wall. She didn't know what type of man Lewis really was. You know, she loved him, and she thought that he loved her. Ugh, men are such pigs for real sometimes. And I know, I know, women suck too, but yeah. Now, Rosalind said she believes detectives will solve this case one day, but she does not expect to see her sister alive. Like, that hope and expectation is long gone. Now, Roxanne's case, she feels, is a murder without a body. You know, we don't have any proof. There's no evidence of a murder and no body. Now, Detective Scott says, Lewis is still considered a suspect. He says that he just doesn't care that he's a suspect for this, though. Like, Lewis is uninterested. He's no stranger to bad acting. So this is not a huge burden on him. Detective Scott says, basically... I've got two violent offenders. Both of them are lying to me. They are both hiding criminal activity. But at least one of them is hiding a murder. Now, you know, just the questions, they just, they haunt Elizabeth's mom. And I'm sure that it, that's, everybody would feel that way, right? Where is my daughter? What happened? That kind of thing, you know? But as the years have passed and she just has so much more time, right, to think about it and sort of like craft situations in her mind, you know, the questions have become more detailed and sort of more disturbing. So one of her thoughts was, did Lewis try to roll Jeffrey? And was he using Roxanne as bait to do that? And I think that's a really good thought, to be honest. Um, because Roxanne wasn't going to want to hire herself out. That's obvious, right? So I'm thinking that as naive and trusting as Roxanne was, he could have been like, hey, we have to meet my friend. You know, this is where he's at. We're going to go there. And Jeffrey's there thinking, right, that he's bringing Roxanne to him for services, possibly. And then when they get there, 
you know, they try to rob him or, you know, Roxanne doesn't do what she's supposed to or something happens and it just goes bad, right? And Roxanne gets the bad end of it. I do definitely think that that could be a possibility. Or, you know, he was bringing Roxanne there for that and she changed her mind and just decided like, no, this is not for me. I love you, but I'm not doing this. And so she backs out of whatever deal that Jeffrey and Lewis had made. I think that's super possible also. Now, Jeffrey, he had been caught before carrying a butcher knife in his car while trolling for working ladies along Middle Lane. Now, did he maybe see Roxanne out in that area and try to solicit her? Maybe, you know, or maybe did he recognize her as Lewis's girlfriend, right, from just a previous encounter with the couple and just kind of think that that was the deal with Roxanne and he could proposition her or, you know, take her and kind of be rough. He was very, you know, kind of entitled in that way. You know, if he was paying, he could do what he wanted, right? And unfortunately, in that type of service industry, that's a very common thought process among the clients. So, maybe. Now, the questions, the possibilities, they have to be overwhelming, right? And and just endless. Like, you just don't know. So, you literally picture every scenario possible like I think if you're just not careful with that or you don't have a good therapist or support system those thoughts would drive you crazy I just they would have to now Elizabeth and her longtime boyfriend Patrick Doyle they have staked out motels near Runberg they walk the streets handing out flyers they ask people to please help you know, Elizabeth finds her daughter. They posted alerts and questions on the web. They were even able to get Roxanne's story featured on America's Most Wanted. And of course, when cases like this get in the public, you know, the psychics come out, right? So they had their fair share of psychics that approached them also. But so far, they've made little progress, you know. But Elizabeth still holds hope that the right person with the right tip, will finally have the courage to tell the truth, right? Now, she says her biggest thing is, is Roxanne out there? Is she alone? Is she scared? Is she crying out for help and I just can't hear my daughter? I need my closure and I need to find my daughter one way or another and bring her home. And yeah, I mean, as a mother myself, I mean, that's probably something she thinks about constantly, you know, does she need me? And, and I can't hear her. I don't know where she is. Is she waiting for me to help her? And I can't, right? I mean, that has to just be horrific for her mother. I, oh God, I just, I can't even imagine the heartbreak. It just, oh, it hurts my soul. Now, as far as Roxanne's physical description, she had light brown hair with green eyes. She was five feet, four inches tall, and she weighed about 115 pounds. Now, she had a pierced navel and double piercings on her ears. 
She has a mole on the right side of her neck and a quarter-sized scar on her left knee. Now, she previously had fractured her nose, right? So, in the incident with Lewis. And one of her upper front teeth is false. Now, I don't know what happened to her tooth. So, I can guess, but I don't know. Now, she was last seen wearing a pink or a peach colored tank top, light blue shorts, and flip-flops. Now, if you have any information about the disappearance of Roxanne, you can call the Austin Police Department at 512-974-5250 or you can call the Austin Crime Stoppers tip line at 512-472-8477. Now that is all I have for Roxanne's case. It just it's such a heartbreaking and frustrating case. But, you know, Austin, they really did a good job as far as responding immediately and getting out there and trying to find. So a lot of times, you know, especially if they're 18 or older, it takes a while before the police get on board to help. And it's up to just the families at that point. But they really did, you know, jump in right away and start to work this case. So that's awesome because you don't always see that. But that's all I have for today. Thank you so much for joining me for Mystery Monday. Mystery Monday episodes are up every Monday and Solve Saturday cases go up every other Saturday. Now Solve Saturday episode a couple days ago, it talks about the poisoning death of Indiana inmate Tanisha Chapel and the neglect that led to her death. 16 plus hours of showing serious medical trauma and 16 plus hours of her being ignored laughed at and accused of faking her illness. Now, multiple inmates speak up about the poisoning and are just shut down immediately. So that episode is out now and available for you to check out. Thank you again. Have a great day. If you made it this far to the end, you're a trooper. And I look forward to talking with you again soon.